0: I'm glad to see you here. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant, one of the teaching pastors here after last week's message about angel sex, heffalumps, and woozles. Um, I wasn't sure any of you were going to come back, so I'm glad that you're here. And some of you were like, I need to go back and listen to that because I didn't know that I missed that in Genesis chapter 6, but that was there. So this week we continue this series. I grew up singing songs about Noah. Some of you did too, right? The Lord told Noah to build him an archie arky. Build it out of gopher, barky, barky. Maybe you recognize the other one. The animals are coming two by two: the elephant, the bear, and the kangaroo. Right? And we listened to those songs, and uh, and then we would go to Sunday school, and we we would we would. Color a picture, right? A picture with a, with a pointy-ended boat and a guy with a beard and his family smiling underneath of a rainbow. And it was a happy children's story about some animals. And you're, some of you are wondering, why are we spending time in grown-up church talking about a kid's story? Because I get it, Grant. I learned the lessons a long time ago. It's a guy with a beard and, and a boat and a bird and a rainbow. That's just what it's supposed to be. Color the picture and ignore the genocide. Hmm. So before we just kind of just brush past it, let me ask you a question. Are you sure it's just a children's story? Genesis chapter 6 says this, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and full of violence. And God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people. Oh boy. For the earth is filled with violence because of them and I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it. Coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high. Make a roof for it, leaving below the roof an opening of 18 inches all the way around. Thank you, Jesus, for ventilation, right? Verse 17, I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has the breath of life in it, everything on earth, will perish. That's tough, isn't it? Does that sound like a children's story to you? Verse 18, but I will establish my covenant with you. You should probably underline that last little line because we're going to need that to hold on to. I read the story and my challenge this week was not what to talk about. It was what not to talk about because there's a whole bunch of stuff that we could have talked about. We could have talked about the historical reality of Noah. Some people struggled believing that Noah was actually a historical, real, living, breathing person but historical books reference Noah countless numbers of times the bible talks about Noah a lot in ezekiel chronicles isaiah matthew luke first and second peter and hebrews jesus the king of the universe refers to him twice and every time jesus talks about Noah it's in the context of a warning that should be a clue jesus is speaking in the book of Luke, it says, As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and then the flood came and destroyed them all. So always in the context of a warning, which is a little scary when you're four years old and people are telling you, no, 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 no. It's just about a guy with a beard and a boat and a bird and a really, really pretty rainbow. So we could have talked about Noah. We don't have time to do that. We could have talked about the size and the capacity of the ark. Because that's fascinating, right? This thing was huge. Let me give you a size comparison just so you can understand it, okay? There's Noah's ark, 450 feet long. A 747 is 231 feet. The Titanic, 882 feet. Here's what's amazing. There was not another boat built to the capacity of Noah's ark until 1853. This thing is absolutely huge. 45 feet high, 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and a roof with ventilation, which was just a great idea. Here's the amazing thing about it. It's not even technically a ship. It's a bobber. It's a barge. That's it. And we could have talked about all kinds of things. We could talk about the one and a half million cubic feet of space, over 100,000 square feet of deck space. We could have talked about how over 500 railway train cars could fit inside. I could have given you a picture that you could go to Quest Field, put the ark down, and it would have spanned over both end zones and gone and filled the first bowl of Quest Field. And we could have talked about all that kind of stuff. And then I could have pointed out something that completely freaked me out when I read it. There's no rudder. There's no rudder. You don't get to steer, Noah. God's going to direct it. There's no rudder. There's no sails. This thing's not about direction. This thing is about survival. So, Noah, your job's not to steer. It's to pray, look after your family, and make sure you feed the animals what they need because you got carnivores and bunnies on the same bobber. We could have talked about the animals. Here's the instructions. You're to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, of every kind of creature that moves along the ground that will come, or they will come to you to be kept alive. So Noah didn't have to go round them up, they just started showing up. You're to take every kind of food that's to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. And people freak out and go, there's no way, no possible way the animals could have fit. Well, just back up the bobber for a second. Here's some quick information for you. Average size of a land animal is actually a sheep. The ark could have held 125,000 sheep. According to scientists and anthropologists, at this point in history, there were 18,000 species. Don't think breed, it'll mess you up. 18,000 species Of mammals, amphibians, birds, and reptiles combined. I have no explanation for mosquitoes, cockroaches, and ticks. How they got there, I have no idea. I think it's a part of the fall, just my opinion, okay? So if there's 18,000 species, you got two. That means you've got 36,000 animals in a bobber that has a capacity for 125,000, which means you got plenty of room for animals and food. We could talk about all that stuff, but we don't have time. So let's keep going. We could talk about the details that we think are in the story that actually aren't in the story. I mean, if you read some of the stuff from the story, I don't know about you, I learned the story on a flannel graph. That That's, that's church code for a Sunday school thing that they put on the wall and you sat there in a basement that smelled like coffee and tuna. Some of you remember that, okay? If you don't, it's okay. I'm going to leave that alone. I'm not even going there, okay, all right? But I'm going to notice, you're going to notice some things if you read the story. There's no mention of people mocking Noah. Not a word. Now, I totally get it, right? I totally get it. And we add stuff for color, I understand, but it's not actually in the book. I live, I live in Linden, okay? So, and people snicker every time I say that. I don't know Why? I live in Linden, there's a code enforcement van that drives around to make sure that animals are contained, the watering schedule is followed, and the lawns are clipped to a certain level, okay? Okay, now, here's what I know. If my neighbor started a building project, my neighbor Nick just started building something, and it started in his garage and then began to exceed the height of my house, and then ended up going 450 feet down Captain Bay Court, I would probably be questioning my neighbor's sanity and asking a few questions, right? So it makes total sense that people would look at it and go, there was probably some people mocking Noah, but the bottom line is, doesn't say that. There's also no mention of people banging on the door trying to get in. fact it's interesting if you read the story for 120 years people have actually done a really nice job of ignoring the preacher of righteousness and his building project because we all think we got time and let's face it we all think at some level every preacher is pretty much nuts right let's just be honest we think that somehow we're invincible and the moment of life and death is something that we just kind of ignore and push to the side because we reconcile in our mind. I got lots of time. I don't need to worry about my neighbor and his building project. I was watching a YouTube video this past week of an area where Laurel and I have had the privilege, of uh, the privilege to actually travel in Thailand where the tsunami hit and, and swept people away. And I was amazed watching the force of water just carry people away. There was no time to knock on a door. There was no time to get to a boat. There was no time to swim. And it was heartbreaking, and it was tragic, and it reminded me, you have no guarantee when that wave's going to come. In the story, it's also, there's no record that the water only came from the sky. I heard a guy... on. Preach an entire message on, he was talking about uh, the greenhouse effect and how this was the first time that it ever rained and that, that, you know, it poured down from the sky. And actually the Bible says that not only did it come from the sky, it actually just broke out through through the ground. God just forced water all over the place and regardless of how you break it down, the water came hard and fast and it was tragic. So we could talk about rain cycles and the greenhouse effect, but we don't have time. We could talk about the ancient religious and cultural flood story. So I was a a Near Eastern ancient history minor in college. But my curiosity about this came all the way back from high school in, in a chemistry class. Why it showed up in chemistry, I have no idea. But Mr. Friesen, who was my chemistry teacher, who actually looked exactly like Dr. Bunsen Honeydew from the Muppets. He looked exactly like him. You got a picture now? Okay. But Mr. Friesen started talking about the epic of Gilgamesh. And he started talking about all of these different flood stories. And believe it or not, even though I'm absolutely convinced that the Bible is true, absolutely convinced that Jesus is the Son of God, naturally, I'm, I'm a skeptic. I don't take things at face value. So when Dr. Friesen started talking about these, these flood stories, I started doing research on the 200 cultural flood stories because I kept hearing people say, you know what, the Bible is just another one of these ancient epic flood stories. One of 200, not that big a deal, and you can believe in fairy tales if you want to, that's what people would say. So you really start studying them, and you begin to realize that the Greek, the Roman, the Celtic, the Welsh, the Lithuanian, the German, the people of Turkey, the Vogels, the Egyptians, the Persians, the Assyrians, the Muslims, the Chaldeans, the Pygmy people, the Ikoi, the Ikikui, the Etim, the Ibabo, the Mandingo, how you doing, Mariette? <laughs> that was really good. <laughs> She's amazing, right? She does this with no prep. It's crazy, okay? The Mandingo, the Bacongo, the Bina Lulua, the Camillio, the Illet, the tinderet. <laughs> The kwaya, the Hindu, the Bill, the kamar, the Lepsha, the Assam, the Mongolian, the Korean, the people of the Adamam Islands, the Chingpa, the Blackfoot people, the Native tribes of Arizona. I can keep going if you want to that's just a handful of the cultures that have a flood story and if you analyze the flood stories, it's fascinating eighty eight percent of them have a single family that's saved ninety five percent of them say that the judgment of the flood came. Because of a God who was angry with his creation. 66% talk about the evil of mankind. 67% talk about animals. 57% talk about the surviving family actually being granted their salvation on a mountaintop. And people press into this. Critics press into this, and they say, your Bible is just one of 200 pieces of fiction, and you can believe it if you want to. But I have a question. If there's 200 ancient cultures with a flood story, could it be possible that we could deduce from that evidence that there was a flood? (laughs) Just asking. I remember Mr. Friesen. I came to him one day with all of my evidence talking flood stories and consistencies. How in the world do you find fish fossils on the top of mountains? It just doesn't make any sense. And then I came down to this 200 cultures that have a similar story. And I asked the question, like, is it possible that that possibly... The Bible story is the original story, and all the rest of them are derivatives, just like Bill Gates made a computer, and now everybody's got some form of one of those in their home somewhere. I mean, could it possibly be that? And Mr. Friesen took all of my evidence, and he looked at me, and I remember thinking to myself, I'm going to try, have to try and convince him, and instead of having to convince him, he looked at me, and he goes, could be. And then he opened the drawer of his chemistry desk and put a copy of the Bible in the center of the table and I went ah We could talk about all that we don't have time. Okay, so <laughs> I really am in awe of you. Just I'm just saying right now I'm kind of blown away at that you got through that. That's amazing. Let's get down to the tough stuff. So I have very close friends who don't believe in God, they don't believe in Jesus, they don't believe in the Bible. They basically believe I'm an idiot. And we have a great friendship because we talk and, 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 and we have conversation. We, we gave up debating and arguing a long, long time ago because all it did was make both sides frustrated and so we just decided we are gonna be friends. So we have conversation. When they talk with me about their objections to God, they get stuck in two places. One of the places that they get stuck is they say they have an issue with God. Now, what's really, really interesting and what frustrates them is when I point out, actually, after listening to your story, you don't have have a problem with God. You have a problem with God's girlfriend. Well, and who doesn't? Because God's girlfriend's filled with broken, fallible people, and so she missteps all of the different times. I mean, everybody has an issue at some point with that because people are a part of God's girlfriend. So I say, so so let's put that one aside just for a little bit. and, And where they get stuck more than anything is this story right here. The children's story with the guy with the beard, the boat, and the bird. And here's the question, how can a loving God wipe out everything and everybody? I think that's a valid question. You know why people struggle with this story? It's because we all struggle with the concept of judgment, right? We love a loving God. We just don't like it when he draws a line. How dare he draw a line? Maybe you've, maybe you've heard the objections. My friends have said these. We've talked about them when we sit at the coffee shops. Don't you think God could have waited a little bit longer, Grant? I mean, maybe people would change. Maybe there would be some kind of an adaptation. And my answer is this. What do you do with the fact that God waited 1,600 years? And that's a conservative estimate. 1,600 years watching his creation destroy his creation and each other. Like, is 1,700 years patient enough? Is there some kind of a magical number? God gave me an interesting perspective on this just this past week. So my office is up on the second floor in between CTK and DSHS next door, and I'm working away on my computer. I'm actually studying for this particular message this week. and I hear an argument happening in, the, in, in between the two buildings, and, and I stuck my head out to look down there. I wanted to make sure that it wasn't two staff people going at each other from our church, and it wasn't. Um, Just a young man and a young woman, and they were having a deep, verbal, loud disagreement in between the two buildings. And so it was loud, it was distracting. And I'd crack my window to see what was going on. And so I I was up on the second floor and I'm observing this conflict down below me. And she is screaming at him. How can you say that you love me when you're just going to walk away? You can't even give me a dollar to get on the bus to get back where we are going. And he goes, I don't have anything else to give you. And they're going back and forth, back and forth. And then he starts digging in his bag and he walked over and he handed her a brownie. And she took it, and she looked at it, and she goes, that's it? And she threw it on the ground and stomped on it and walked away. I watched for two minutes from a higher perspective, a conflict where two people were destroying each other's hearts and souls. And I'll be honest with you, my stomach started to churn, and I started to bite my lip. I'm just like, this is, I just wanted it to stop. For 1,600 years, God watches his creation, destroy his creation. Here's another question. So, you know, couldn't God have done a better job with his messaging? I mean, you've got this guy just building a boat. The Bible says he was actually a preacher, a preacher of righteousness. I mean, I mean, don't you think he could have given them a bigger warning? The warning lasted 120 years. 120 years. So, so here are the questions that I've asked my friends that have allowed us to continue the conversation. I think it boils down to this. So, How far does love have to go before it's not love anymore and it's enabling? And at what point does love have to become justice in the face of evil? Because here's what I know. If you read the story, nobody can claim these people were innocent. Nobody. You remember the words from last week? Genesis 6:5. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart were only evil all the time. All the time. How about Genesis 6? I'll just give you the descriptors describing humankind, corrupt, violent, evil, not just pockets of this stuff, but prolific and perpetual evil, always evil all of the time for 1,600 years. And we hear that, and there's still something inside of us that says, who does God think he is? How dare he? How dare he? I got another question. Why didn't he wipe out everybody? How dare he exercise a beautiful thing in actually saving eight I would contend there's another word for that. I would use the word grace. And we should all be thankful because if God had been saved eight, none of us would be in this room today. So isn't that somewhat miraculous and beautiful in the face of all of that evil? That God, instead of just rendering complete and total justice, would actually say, I'm going to pick one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. It's the same grace that covered Adam and Eve after they messed up. It's the same grace that actually marked Cain so that nobody would hurt him or touch him. This crazy God of ours that just relentlessly pursues his people even when they choose evil. He's at it again. And I think Here's the issue, we get so used to our own sin, we're actually horrified to think there might be a cost for it. St. Francis, one of my favorite ancients, said, nothing contends so much to humble us before the mercy and justice of God as the consideration of His benefit and our own sin. Let us then consider what He's done for us and what we have done against Him. Let us call to mind our sin in detail and His gracious benefit in like manner. Remembering that whatever there is of good in us is not ours, but his. Here's what I would say. As we struggle with this kid's story. If you struggle with the justice of God, what in the world do you do with his love? Because you can't have one without the other. here we are. We got a guy with crazy instructions. We got a bobber with no rudder. We got animals in his family. God saved eight. That's a miracle. And here we are waiting for the water to go down with nothing but a promise, right? We could have talked about all that stuff. We didn't because we didn't have time, all right? What does that have to do with July the 15th, 2017? I mean, you came to church not just to hear about mass genocide and God pushing a reset button. I mean, what in the world are we supposed to do with this? Well, let's start with what we do know about the story. This one thing we do know. Noah was obedient. Two times. Genesis six twenty two and chapter seven, verse five, it says, And Noah did all. Some of your translations said he did everything, just as the Lord commanded him. Everything. And some of you are doing a math inside of your head, and I want to just get you to take a time out for a second, because you're like, okay, I don't want to. got to. I got to be a Noah. I got to be a Noah. I got to do something big. I got to go home, and I got to start buying wood. Like I'm gonna go to Home Depot, and I'm gonna need a tape measure and some saws. I'm probably gonna need three or four sons to help me out. That's how this is gonna work. And family system's gonna need to get together. This is gonna be a really big building project, and we're gonna start in the garage. We're gonna work our way all the way down the street. I mean, I got. I have to do this because somehow I got to be a modern version of Bruce Almighty, and I'm just like, so I gotta go. Gotta go. Gotta. Go go gotta go just stop for a second before you start building this monstrous project what's the one simple act of obedience that god wants you today to do today before you start building boats what's the one small act of obedience is it to reconcile with that family member you haven't talked to in a couple of years Is it to stop talking so God can get a word in edgewise? Is it to give generously because it's beautiful? Could it be that the one simple step of obedience you need to do before you start building a boat, could it be that you need to stop doing because some of you have forgotten if the devil won't make you bad, he'll make you busy? Do you need to actually have a conversation with somebody at work instead of hoping and praying every day that some that in some move of God's spirit they're all of a sudden going to be prompted to walk up and say, "Can you just tell me, like, why everything? Can, could you just explain this great spiritual truth to me? Could it be that you're actually supposed to quietly and humbly initiate a conversation? Could it be that God's asking you to apologize? Could it be that He's asking you to choose?" purity? What's the one small step of obedience? Start there, because this one thing I know about Noah, he started with one piece of wood. So Start there. Secondly, what do we know? We know that godly obedience is often uncomfortable, scary, and uncharted. Here's what I know about Noah. It's probably going to get me smacked when I get to heaven, but I'm going to say it anyway. The guy was a great boat builder. He was a lousy preacher. You know why I know that? Because his church never grows beyond his family after 120 years of saying the same thing. (laughs) You do the math, right? Okay. It doesn't grow. And so we find him with his reality, right? We've got got his obedience wrapped up in, in a smelly, bobbing barge, a massive flood, his family holding on for dear life, and a God who just hit the reset button but gave him a single promise, I'll make a covenant with you. And that was enough for Noah. I am so in awe of his obedience. Do you know why? Because there's one thing that I often love more than Jesus. It's comfort. And don't pretend that you're not addicted to the same thing that I am. Because I got a comfy chair with a really nice remote and a really big TV screen that lets me keep in on other people's lives and other things sporting events and I like that and I'm really really good as long as God leaves that little pod of comfort alone. What drives me crazy is when he asks me to actually leave it behind and go do something for him. I'm okay with doing something as long as it's not weird. And then I have an issue When God calls me out of my comfort zone into the weird and the bold and the unpopular, you know what I start thinking about? I start thinking about whether or not I can actually swim and how long I can tread water. Sometimes I get scared by the words we sing, because that's what we do, right? We come to church, we walk in the door. Everybody gets up front, they sing, we sing the songs, we go through the lyrics, then Grant comes out and prays, and then he preaches, and he yells at us for a little while, and then he says, if we're going to bring the servant to conclusion by giving back to God our tithes and our offerings, and he goes through the little spiel, and we turn around, shake hands at one point, and then we all clap, slap each other, high five, and off we go. And sometimes I wonder if we ever stop and think, do you know that God actually listened to the words that we sing? A couple weeks ago, I heard this, this church sing these words, spirit lead me where my trust It's without borders. And let me walk upon the water wherever you would call me. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander. And my faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Savior. God heard every single word. I'll go anywhere, God. I'll give up anything. You can take me deeper than you than I could ever dream of being. If you need to drown me, God, I'm good with that. That's what we're saying. And I'm not trying to keep you from singing. I wish you'd sing louder. I wish you'd not care about what the people thought about you, around you. I wish you would live with wild abandon in God's presence and throw your hands in the air. But I do want us to pay attention that we say these things. And Peter did it. And Noah did it. And, and here's what I know. If we pray it, God actually says you can do it. I'll take you there. You want to go deeper? I'll take you there. The question is, do we really want to go? Because it's uncomfortable and it's scary. And let's face it, Noah's boat, it smelled bad. And we're just like, Jesus, be my air freshener. And like, mmm. Let's keep going. What else do we know? We know that godly obedience refuses the safety of a personal rudder. I struggle with that. Boy, I read the description again. I so hope they added something since the last time I read it. Because I'll be honest with you. Here's my big struggle. I don't have a problem with an ark. I just like to steer. I like to steer. I don't have a problem when God judges people, especially if I don't like them. Let's be honest. <laughs> I can even handle it when I pray in public and people stare. I don't care, Right? I have no problem. I'd say, go. I'd go anywhere that God leads me, but when he has the audacity to ask me to get on a boat where there's no rudder and there's no sails, so I have no say in what direction we're going, I'll be honest with you, I struggle. I struggle, I struggle, I struggle. And Noah held on to one truth, the same God that led him for 120 years did not abdicate his responsibility when Noah shut the door. And that's a big deal. Noah had to live with implicit trust. Wherever you take me, God, that's where I believe I need to be so I'm willing to go there. Until we wreck on the top of a mountain. I love the fact that even when they wrecked, they were in a high spot. Let's keep going. What else do we learn? We learn that godly obedience attracts attention. And the attention may not be the kind that you want. I mean, if you follow God in complete obedience, I'm going to promise you people are going to notice. And we struggle with that because everybody in the room wants a Savior. We just don't want to live in a culture where anybody thinks we're a little bit whacked. I enjoy hanging out with my friends that don't believe in the same God that I believe in. I kind of like the fact that they think I'm a Bible-thumping Jesus freak. I'm okay with that because what's interesting is this. When we get right down into the nitty-gritty and we push aside the debates and the arguments because I think they're they're pretty much a colossal waste of time. When we love each other for who each other is, what's amazing is we get to stay in the dialogue and they may not like what I believe, but they respect it. I don't know if you're going to like what God's going to ask you to do. But I promise you, you can trust him. Because he cares more about where you're going to end up than you do. Let's keep going here. Godly obedience attracts others seeking salvation. Other people take notice. It's interesting that nobody took Noah up on his offer. You might get to the end of your life and find yourself in exactly the same boat. No pun intended. But that would be okay if you were faithful. I want to make sure that everybody is absolutely crystal clear. If you ever think for one second that 4173 Guide Meridian is just a grandiose plan to somehow extort your money out of you and guilt you into a relationship with a God that you can't see, if somehow you believe that this place is just simply four walls with a big room and seats and and, and an interesting looking cross hanging over the center of you as a message that that's the central point that matters to all of us, if you ever... Fool yourself into thinking that that's what this is all about. I just want to make sure that we are completely corrected. This is an ark. And the door's still open. And the animals are doing their best to get along. Come on, Grant. Let's do it now. Here we go. This is an ark. And the door is open and you're welcome here. If you're seeking and pushing and questioning and asking questions because life is unbelievably difficult, you are welcome here. We want you to come in to the ark. Can't promise you where we're going to end up until we get to heaven. (laughs) That's different. But I want you to know that's our goal, that's our passion. The small groups of this church, every single one of them is an ark with a door that's open. If the door's not open, the group is wrong. Because we need to keep those doors open for other people that, are, that need to experience the same kind of beauty that we experience when we get together. I saw a different kind of lifeboat this, this past week. A different kind of ark floating around. I had the privilege of running into two foster and two adoptive families. You know what I love about those people? They actually took God so seriously. They kicked the door open of their own home and welcomed somebody in that just needed a place to believe that God still loved them and that they could have a family too. I never ask you guys to do anything that I don't do myself, so I sit on a commission in the community that serves Whatcom County and, and the city of Bellingham, and, and there's a guy that sits on the commission with me, and, and and it's just it's just kind of interesting. Actually, he's just getting ready to roll off, because he, he, he moved. He's getting ready to move anyway. He, he's been kind of just kind of cynical. He just watches me out of the side of his eye, because I always walk in with my chaplain deal, because I'm always down by the sheriff's department, and I use the opportunity to try and say hi to to some of the people who serve and protect our community. He's always kind of looked at me. And the other day, we, we sit down, and he kind of looks at me with that sidelong glance because he, he he thinks I'm a Bible-thumping Jesus freak. That's the bottom line. He kind of looks at me suspicious, and he goes, uh, what's up with that farm thing you guys are doing? He goes, that thing's huge. I said, Yeah. We're growing food to feed kids. And people in Whatcom County that have been flooded with hunger. Oh really? Is that a moneymaker? Like <laughs> No, it actually costs more to run it than deck, but we do it anyway because because uh, that's what God told us to do. Have you ever thought of your house as an ark? that rides in the waves of tough times but shines the light of God's salvation into your neighborhood. I mean, I am amazed at the fact that I'm looking at the primary obedience tool that God is going to use to draw people towards his salvation. And if you don't get anything else today, please take this with you. Not everybody can be a Noah, but everyone in this room can be an ark. Every one of you can be an ark. You keep the door open and you follow Jesus, rudder or no. And I promise you, God will do epic things in your life. Let's keep going. Last one, godly obedience builds trust It sustains you when it pours. I spent the week just hanging out with people from Christ the King. Here's what I know about the people in this room. Some of you are completely flooded with heartbreak today. Some of you are flooded with debt, and you have no idea how you're going to make ends meet this month. Some of you are being flooded with doubt because you hear all of this stuff and you're still stuck on the idea. How in the world can God push a reset button? And next week we're going to come back to it again, and it's going to be like, and, and, and here's my big question for next week because Noah's going to get off the boat and he's going to he's going to do some stuff, and it's not going to be pretty and it's going to be weird. And you really need to put your kids in childcare next week because it's weird okay and 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 we're gonna we're gonna watch this guy and it's gonna get all twisted up and, and and some of us are still stuck with the question like if god drowned everything why didn't he drown sin why didn't that go down with everybody else good question Some of you today are flooded with pain, and you're you're struggling, and you've got a choice just like Noah had a choice. You can remember the track record of God's love and justice and wait for the waters to subside while you're doing everything you can to press into following Jesus, or you can do what so many did. You can ignore the boat, ignore the warning, and see how long you can tread water. I said it last week. I'm going to say it again. Everyone in this room, somewhere down the road, is going to meet God in His judgment Or His grace. Choose grace. Choose grace. So as we wrap up today, here's the big question. I don't know about you, I have no problem handing God my past. My question is, do you trust God enough to believe Him with your future? Knowing He might ask you to get on a bobber with no rudder. Or he might ask you to do one simple act of obedience. You know what? You know what I love about the story more than anything is just when I feel like going. Oh, I want to take this out of all the Sunday school classrooms and no more coloring pages. I mean, I mean, and you don't get to have the little tykes' arc set. You know, with the plastic animals and the Weeble's wobble, but they don't fall down. And some of you don't know what I'm talking about. Some of you do. That's cool. All right. So, I'm having a moment. It's great. My kid, my childhood just came flooding back to me. But I love this, just when I'm ready to give up hope in the Noah story, I get to the very end of it, and God says this, I made a covenant with you, I will make a covenant with you. When Jesus broke bread and said, this is my body which is broken for you, and when he took a cup and blessed it and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, this is what he was saying, I'll make a covenant with you. I'll make a covenant with you. We have the promise of a rainbow that God's never going to do it again. As followers of the Most High God and Jesus is the Son of God, we have a covenant too. It's represented in a broken piece of bread and an empty cup. Because God said, I'm never going to flood your soul to the point where you can't see me ever again. You'll always be able to see me. The question is, do you trust him enough to go there? Been working through this cycle, God creates, God connects, we sin, relationship breaks. Boy, we see that this week, don't we? But once again, after God pushes the reset button, He redeems, He restores, and God starts creating all over again. From scratch, for you, to the praise of His glorious grace. It's a good story. I'm not sure it's for kids. Let's learn the lesson so we can teach them well. Amen? Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for this moment. And I thank you for an opportunity to come and hear what it is that you have to say. God, teach us. Change us. God, if the result of today is we do the one simple act of obedience, we praise you. If it's that we are willing to give up our comfort zone, we praise you. If it's simply that we have a greater love and appreciation for one of your favorite people in the Bible, we praise you. If it's that we walk out of here remembering not everybody can be a Noah, but everyone can be an ark. God, would you show us how to keep the door open and anything good that comes out of that effort. May it bring praise and glory to your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.